Hey there, welcome to Wyoming, my 307. My name is Carla Mowell, and I'm a fourth-generation Wyomingite who is both an insider and an outsider here. I started this podcast to share what I know and what I'm learning about Wyoming with you, whether you are born and raised here or just visiting. After thinking about this podcast for years and years and years, I find myself starting it during an extraordinary period of our American lives. Between the political climate, the pandemic, and the police brutality protests, I'm afraid that a little podcast about the beauty, history, and people of Wyoming feels off topic. Then again, maybe not. Maybe now is the time to scratch the surface of everything we thought we knew about the world so that we can make it a better place. I'm committed to bringing a diversity of Wyoming voices to this podcast. And that takes us to today's episode, Gay in Wyoming. Let me just say, I'm a straight, cisgendered white woman, and I'm exploring just a small piece of what is a much larger story of the LGBTQ experience here. From what I've seen, though, being gay really is different here than in other parts of the country. The stereotypes of our state lean heavily masculine, featuring mountain men, cowboys, gun culture, ranching, and hunting. And we are all that. And we're a lot more. If you search for gay bars in Wyoming on Google, it shows three results. None of them are a gay bar in Wyoming. There's the Rendezvous Campout in Medicine Bow National Forest, which is billed as the largest LGBT pride camping event in the Rocky Mountain region. And then two pride parades, one in Cheyenne and another in Casper, both hosted by Wyoming Equality. Nevertheless, there have been gay Wyomingites from the very beginning, and we see little glimpses of it in Wyoming's history. Starting with the Native American cultures, Arapaho, Sioux, Crow, and Shoshone, among others, recognize a third gender, men who are like women. These people were often called Two-Spirit and are considered a spiritual gift to their community. In 1889, Dr. Holder of Memphis, Tennessee, wrote an article titled The Boat, B-O-T-E, in the New York Medical Journal. In it, he defines boat as, quote, the word used by the Absaroka Indians of Montana and literally means not man, not woman, end quote. This valuing of two-spirit people would not hold with the new immigrants to the West, White trappers, followed by settlers, colonized Wyoming Territory and inherited the Dakota Territory law, which dictated life imprisonment for sodomy. And yet, Wyoming is the only U.S. state with not one published sodomy case. I think that's an interesting dichotomy, and I just wonder, is it our live-and-let-live attitude? That's a question I'm going to ask my guest today, who grew up gay in Wyoming. But first, you can't talk about the story of gay people in Wyoming without first recognizing the gruesome beating death of Matthew Shepard in 1998 outside of Laramie. In a retrospective article, James Marsden describes people's first reactions to the crime, saying, 
It turns out there are gay people in Wyoming. It's an anti-gay place, according to these impressions, and their safety is at risk. There are not enough laws about this kind of thing in Wyoming or elsewhere. It happens too much, and it needs to stop. End quote. Matthew's death led to a much-needed national conversation about hate crimes and resulted in the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act. Reminder. James Byrd was a black man in Jasper, Texas, lynched by three white supremacists, dragged to death for being black and walking in public. Out of Matthew's death also came the Laramie Project. It's based on hundreds of hours of interviews of Laramie residents. It's a theatrical and literary production, a social justice protest, and a snapshot of one town's response to a tragic murder. I have a link to the movie version, and it's very well worth watching or re-watching. Also, you can't think gay in Wyoming without considering a pop culture reference. I'm talking about Brokeback Mountain. This movie is based on a short story in the book Close Range Wyoming Stories by one of my favorite Wyoming authors, Annie Prue, spelled P-R-O-U-L-X. Set in 1963 Wyoming, it's the story of two young men who take a summer job sheep herding in the mountains. Their working friendship becomes a romantic relationship, which they are drawn deeper into over the course of the summer, and at the same time reject over the course of the rest of their lives. They both eventually marry, but they also continue seeing each other, and it's an amazing love story, which I find to be authentic to the language, the setting, and the culture of Wyoming of that era. This brings us to my guest today, Wyoming author and poet Jackson Lassiter. Let's have a listen to that conversation. So guys, I'm super excited to introduce you to my absolute favorite Wyoming author and also my cousin, Jackson Lassiter. And I just have a few questions for you, Jackson. Are you ready? I am ready. Of course, you're the author of a wonderful book called Birds of a Feather. It's a collection of short stories that reflect your experience from childhood to adulthood, but especially that childhood piece. I think you have so much to share about what is it like? What was it like for you growing up gay in Wyoming? So can we just start with that? You're growing up. Like, can you describe your family growing up? Sure. Uh, uh, as you know, I'm one of seven boys. Uh, we lived on a farm just outside of Basin, Wyoming. One of my favorite stories is to tell is of my mother during the summer who would dutifully give us breakfast. And then kick us out the door and tell us, don't come back until lunch. So that's the kind of upbringing we had. The really perfect place to grow up, uh, really a great adventure. How do you think that, um, that that influenced your life, you know, growing up in such a kind of free-spirited, wild way? <laughs> I think that it gave me a certain confidence when you were, you know, kicked out of your house. <laughs> lovingly kicked out of your house uh, in the morning and you have to entertain yourself for four or five hours. It teaches you to be confident and to be able to entertain yourself. Also, when we were sent out in the morning, oftentimes we also got a list of chores. Uh, typically, my dad would have left those for my mom to give to us as she sent us out of the house. 
So the other thing it taught me was uh, really the value of work, and it gave me a really good work ethic. I think I think growing up on a farm where I had all of that room to play and grow and experience myself free, you know, unfettered. There was also that dedication and the sort of responsibility that was taught. The answer to your previous question about what was it like growing up, it was kind of a two-edged thing. And that's what I just described to you about the unfettered freedom tied to certain demands and responsibilities and work ethic. Uh, and that's really a lot in my experience of what Wyoming is. It's a double-edged sword for everything in Wyoming. It seems like there's also an opposite. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. And I'm really interested in hearing you say about the double-edged sword, because I think that's what life is like in general. But I think Wyoming in particular has such extremes, whether it's extremes in weather, extremes in, in culture. Geography. Yeah. And I think those come into play. Like I said, uh, you know, when you're, when you're there, that you have a certain freedom, kind of the pioneer spirit that people, while they may be judgmental and they may look at you and think, what the hell? At the same time, they won't say that to you. They will, Wyoming people will treat you the same way they treat someone who is exactly like them. And then at the same time, it is a really closed community with a very defined culture and a very defined way of life. And really, if you're not a part of that, then you are somewhat an outcast. So again, that two-edged sword. I never growing up felt judged or demeaned or, I mean, sure, people told jokes. Uh, and there were like unintentional slights and hurts, but nobody ever, even in my family or school or anywhere, ever subjected me to any sort of bullying, honestly. So that's super interesting to me because when I was re researching for the podcast and I was looking at like early times of Wyoming, I found that Wyoming territorial law included lifetime imprisonment for the breaking of the anti-sodomy law, which you're like, ah, you know, lifetime imprisonment. However, Wyoming is the only state in the U.S. that doesn't have a single prosecuted case of that law. Really? So it's like super draconian, but at the same time, it never got acted on. And I just thought that's just very, very interesting. And I was wondering, like, why? You know, because you, what you mentioned is kind of like that live and let live approach where there may be a sense that like, oh, you know, this is wrong or right or wanting to judge people, but at the same time, kind of letting people have their space. And maybe it has to do with our big, huge, wide open spaces. That could be. Maybe if you see someone who's opposite to your cultures or your belief, you also realize that you can easily move away or not encounter or be back in your own space and culture. Right. So I know you've come back to Wyoming since your childhood. When you visit Wyoming now, how do you see it changed and how do you see it the same? Like what is your kind of 10,000 mile view or 10,000 foot? I never know about that saying. So what is your view now looking back? My aerial view? <laughs> I think that the advent of the internet really opened places like Wyoming up. When I left Wyoming, I actually kind of got overwhelmed 
by life outside of Wyoming and had to seek therapy about, you know, like, wait, I don't feel like I'm adjusting to the world. And one of the things that came out of that was the idea of environmental deprivation. I had never heard that term, and it's one that my therapist used with me to sort of describe why I was feeling that sense of of being overwhelmed and not understanding how things worked. I mean, obviously, I, I got through all of that because I'm super well-adjusted now. That was a joke. <laughs> I think that that aspect is probably not so much true for uh, kids, uh, particularly gay kids or uh, lesbian and queer growing up in Wyoming now because they have access to the world wide web. So I think just uh, communicating with or interacting with a wider variety of people so that's a real change and a, a very positive change. I see it in um, even my family members who are still in Wyoming, my nephews and my nieces, uh, the younger generations, and they're just more ta uh, tapped into the wider world than I ever was as a child. And when I was a child, the circumference was maybe 100 miles, and I knew nothing beyond that. As far as remaining the same, I think there is still really the live and let live, the sort of frontier spirit. I don't think that has changed. And I think even, again, with the young people, I see them. They have this broader world view, but they're still adhering to their Wyoming culture. So I have to ask you, did you see the movie Brokeback Mountain, and what did you think of it? I did see that movie, and it was fascinating, and I saw it with a bunch of friends, and I kept saying to them, that's Riverton, Wyoming. My brother's the sheriff in Riverton, Wyoming. You know, I, it, 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 it was a little unreal to see it, even though it wasn't filmed in Wyoming, to see Wyoming represented on the screen that way. Uh, and it was pretty good, and I, I'm pretty sure that things like that happened. I mean, I, I can tell you as a budding young man in Wyoming that there were avenues of sexual exploration and that those sorts of things did happen. Um, my mother used to tell me about a little cafe in Grable, Wyoming, where my mother's from, uh, the last little town you talked about. And um, she used to tell me about a little cafe in Grable that was run by two men who lived together uh, Nobody would call them lovers or partners or husbands or any of those words, but everybody knew what they were, and uh, they were part of the community. Well, and I thought that the movie did a really good job of capturing some of the, you know, apart from the love story, which was very beautiful, and, and the scenery and all of that, but I think that they captured some of the culture of Wyoming just in the characters, how few words were spoken by the one, the Heath Ledger character, you know, that taciturn kind of stoic, even as a very young man, yes. and just some of the mannerisms, and I was very surprised that the director wasn't some young guy from Sheridan or something, you know, <laughs> Ang Lee, you know, from the other side of the world, but they really, really captured, I think, some of the culture of Wyoming. Especially the um, frontier spirit macho pioneer male energy i thought they captured really well very it's a it's an odd energy bordering somewhere between sensitive and aggressive it's like kind of parts of both of those right there's a lot of kind of that shield of aggression but there's a lot of sensitivity and sweetness under that so your book is called birds of a feather which is a book of short stories and essays and i know that that's the title of one of your short stories in there why did you pick that story to lead 
Um, I think the concept of birds of a feather really applies and resonates, particularly with gay men. We all leave families where we may or may not have been accepted and where we may or may not have fit in. But we go out into the world and what happens is that we form our own flocks. And I'm sure you've seen them if you've been to any urban area in this city. Uh, and we are birds of a feather and we do flock together. Right, and that that particular story does refer to some characters who may be very, very, very different, but they still feel an affinity just from one little moment of an interaction. And I thought that was beautiful. It was like so subtle. There was the conversation, but the subtext was much greater than the conversation. And to me, that's kind of a Wyoming thing too. You know, men of few words, and there's a lot more to them than you may necessarily know just from a brief conversation. Still waters run deep. Isn't that the other little cliche that we sometimes say? I know this seems like a digression, but um, just the title of your book being Birds of a Feather, I was wondering, do you have a favorite Wyoming bird? Um, That would be the magpie. I believe the most beautiful bird on earth, one of the most interesting creatures, their nests are crazy, their plumage is beautiful, the fact that they're carrion eaters is interesting to me. I just really think they're fascinating birds. At some point during this, I want to read you a little poem, which features a magpie. And it also talks a little bit about that um, two-edged sword referring that I keep referring to. The title of this poem is Wyoming Cemetery Winter. Uh, I jotted down the notes to write this poem in the cemetery, the Basin Cemetery. Uh, it sits on a little rocky hilltop that overlooks the little village and then the farms, including the farm where I grew up. So um, that's sort of the setting of this poem. It's called Wyoming Cemetery Winter. I do not find serenity on the windswept grave pocked ridge jutting above abandoned bottomland farms. My questions land upon dry grass, hide between beaming granite tombstone. Distant metal gray hills hump south toward their beginning. Below, an iced ribbon of river glints through the knobbed fingers of cotton. On the far bank, a freight train crawls, slowed like watched clock hands, to rum its rumble more intuition than noise. It snakes north through the brittle landscape. I don't know where its journey ends. Pioneers killed by hard knocks and women dead from childbirth whisper under the soles of my warmest boots. Their secrets are whisked away on a wind that drives the blood from my lips and leaves my hands numb. A flapping magpie grown fat on this season's carrion gives chase. The answers are all here, he caws. There are no answers here, he adds. Jackson, that's so beautiful. You see the vista? Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. You know, Wyoming has such dramatic views. Of course, there's a beautiful mountains that we love and the trees, but there are some dry, dusty corners, you know, in Wyoming that are equally beautiful, I think. And when you describe the the metal gray hills, that's to me one of the most dramatic views is those just fantastically colored hills and gullies, you know, and as the water washes out different layers, you know. It's it's just so beautiful. And the gnarled cottonwoods, that's my absolute favorite tree, apart from, I think, being the state tree. I just think they're so gorgeous and strong. You can just feel their strength when you're around them. And, and that sound 
in the summer when the wind blows, the tinkling of the leaves against each other. It's that, an indescribable sound. You, but once you've heard it, like if you could be anywhere in the world and hear that sound and think, that's a cottonwood tree in the breeze. I have a few questions that I'm going to actually ask every guest that I have on. What is something that you think people driving through Wyoming may not realize about our state or our people? Well, driving through Wyoming, the first thing they may not realize is that there actually are people. <laughs> Wyoming, as you know, has miles and miles and miles of nothing. And if you're driving through Wyoming, chances are you're driving on one of the interstates and you really don't see people. Um, I would say to anyone driving through Wyoming that if they took the opportunity and took one of the exits that was pointing them toward one of the little towns that they might be really pleasantly surprised at what they find. There are a people, there is a culture, there is a society, there are recreational opportunities and historical opportunities in every single little town. So I would advise anyone driving through Wyoming to stop for a minute. What would you say is the hardest thing or what was, was the hardest thing about living in Wyoming? I would hearken back to what we talked about earlier about environmental deprivation. I think that was the hardest thing for me. I meant to ask you to expound on that concept of environmental deprivation because it sounds like it was kind of an aha thing for you to understand your own experience. It definitely was. And I think really what it just means is a, a sort of lack of artistic, cultural, uh, intellectual stimulation, uh, which was a bit of a problem in the 60s and 70s children. There was maybe one movie theater that played one G-rated movie, and that movie would play for a month. There was nowhere else for kids to go. So that even as teenagers, I think that's why a lot of us developed alcohol or drug problems, because uh, they're really, at that point, I, and again, I, I would really clarify that my sense is that it's different for kids now, but at the time that I was growing up there, that I think was the big problem. Right. I mean, now, even in, you know, little towns, there's museums and pop-up art shows and musicians come through. Basin has a wonderful little city arts program that probably didn't exist back then. Nothing like that. Uh, if it wasn't in school, if it wasn't part of our school curriculum, then really there was nothing. So um, I think that was the, really uh, the hardest part, although just dovetailing on what I said earlier, it was the hardest part, but that was actually the hard part, leaving Wyoming, uh, because the whole time as a kid growing up in Wyoming, I, honestly, I don't know if there was a hard part, because it was a really great way to grow up. So you talked about your experiences in Wyoming growing up, and they sound like they could be somewhat similar to other folks' experiences, you know, the wide open spaces and the freedom and the independence. How do you think your growing up was maybe different than other kids growing up in Wyoming, like your particular experience of being gay growing up in Wyoming? My particular experience of being gay and growing up in Wyoming was probably a little different than some uh, kids just by the fact that I was a boy among seven heterosexual and very much boys. So um, um, I think that made things a little different in that uh, for me, I believe probably there was a sense of being an outsider from an early age because I realized pretty quickly that most of the activities that they love to do primarily 
in cahoots with my dad were not things that I was typically fond of hunting, fishing, boy things. I think that maybe that was part of the difference. The result of that was that I spent a great deal of time with my mother and my grandmother. My mother, as you know, uh, was a spectacular human being, gentle, loving, non-judgmental, encouraging person. So I think her presence really gave me sort of the ammunition to two things, to realize that I'm here right now, but I'm not always going to be here. And that, you know, definitely came from her. Uh, and then the second thing, just the strength and the sort of drive to want to get over environmental deprivation. Um, my mother was an avid reader and really explored the world using that as her tool. And um, she taught that to me and taught me a love of words and the value of words and the value of literature and the value of the experiences that you get from reading something that someone has written. I think that was really to my benefit. I know some other um, gay people from Wyoming who maybe had a less supportive home and uh, it didn't go as well for them. So I think that really was my saving grace as my mother and my grandmother. They were two spectacular ladies. I, I concur. <laughs> did you come out to Aunt Shirley and to your family when you were here or did that happen later? It happened when I was 18 years old when I just left uh, Wyoming. The, I left Wyoming and like within a week I <laughs> sent them a letter. <laughs> you know, um, I guess the, the, that day's version of a text. But uh, I tried to really carefully explain explain and say, you know, this is who I am and this is how I've come to this conclusion and I've always known this, but, you know, now it's time for me to be who I am. And they were both wonderfully accepting. My mother, of course, said, well, I knew that. You know, I was like, why didn't you tell me? But um, she said she thought I needed to come to it on my own. And uh, my dad, my dad was an alcoholic who recovered through AA and was sober for 30 years or something at the time that he died. He likened it to, to being an alcoholic and to the part of AA where you acknowledge who and what you are the, to a higher power. And he said, Oh, you saying that is like me saying this. So to, it clicked with him and he as well. Very little judgment. That's wonderful. That's yeah, wonderful. I don't know that everybody gets that. I say that's wonderful because just like you use the term of the deprivation, that's also the environment they were in. So they really stepped up hugely. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. And I think it was both of their sort of life experiences that allowed them to do that and to kind of give that to me. Right. Well, I have one last question that I'm asking all my guests, and that is, what is it that you love most about Wyoming? Like, what still rings true that you love about Wyoming? Sure. Uh, first and foremost, Wyoming is the most beautiful place on the planet. Honestly, in all of my travels all, all over the world, I've seen many, many, many beautiful places, and every time I go to Wyoming, I think this is the most beautiful of all. My other favorite thing about Wyoming really are the people and the culture, and that's a little two-sided because uh, in many ways, I am not in agreement with the sort of general consensus and culture that exists in Wyoming, but um, I know that underneath all of that those people are still like believe in 
freedom for everybody and believe in everybody having the right to be happy in their lives. And so it's a funny uh, quandary with that. I, I would definitely say one of my favorite things about Wyoming is the culture and the people. And I would qualify it by saying it takes a minute to get there. Right, right. We lived in Scotland when I was a kid for a while, and my dad always said that he found the Scottish people, you know, the locals that he met, like in our neighborhood and stuff, the Scottish people and people from Wyoming to be very similar in the sense that there's like a kind of a hard shell and kind of like a little standoffishness. But once you get to know them, and definitely if you become friends, they are just some of the absolute kindest and most loyal people you can you could find anywhere. I would agree. I think in Wyoming, there's a little bit, uh, the people in Wyoming have a little bit of us and them attitude, like us being people in Wyoming and them being everybody else. But the funny thing about that is when you go to Wyoming and you're with those people, they pull you in and you become part of them. You're, you're us them. Right, right. They can be some of the most welcoming and kind people, and I've really enjoyed that. That part of the experience is different for me now that I live here. You know, my whole life I've been coming here for the for the summers, and I've always felt very welcomed. But it's different when you when you live here through winters. People really come together in the winter in ways that are very different. You know what I mean? Like socializing and checking in on each other and, and all of that stuff. Winters in Wyoming are no joke. <laughs> Not at all. Well, thank you so much. I don't know when this is going to air, but you're my first interview, and thank you. Thank you for riding along with me. <laughs> thank you for asking me and for letting me read some of my little things. If um, any of this is like awful and you're like, I can't use this, then we can rework it. <laughs> the only thing that's awful is my struggle with this technology. So thank you, Jackson, for your patience while I'm still a learner. I'll be posting my first bonus to this podcast where Jackson reads a short story called A Critter in the Hen House. I hope you'll give it a listen. Speaking of critters, it's time for the Wyoming Wildlife segment. Today, it's inspired by the title of Jackson's book, Birds of a Feather, and his love of one particular bird, the magpie. Found all over the world, magpies are a member of the corvid family, along with jays and crows. Here in the West, we have the black-billed magpie. They're black and white, or pied, with a swooping, long, elegant tail. They're flamboyant, they're noisy, they're beautiful, and they're very clever. Magpies are omnivores. They eat fruit, grain, and meat, including carrion, and have been seen picking ticks off of moose and bison. When the West went from a bison-filled wilderness to farmland, magpies redirected their efforts to domestic livestock, and being carrion, this gave them a bad reputation. This led to bounties for magpies, as Jackson mentioned in the interview today. Although now they are protected under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. Magpies mate for life. Their courtship involves males feeding the females, which I really like that idea. 
idea. And then together, the male and the female build a big messy nest. He brings big sticks to make the outside and she collects finer twigs and fluffy stuff to zhuzh up the inside. And what captured my imagination the most as I was reading up on magpies are the funerals. Magpies have a sort of funeral behavior. When a magpie discovers a dead magpie, it begins loudly calling the other magpies who all converge on the fallen bird. They raucously surround the dead bird, tapping it, checking it out, sometimes leaving a small offering, and then they silently, one by one, disperse. And now for the spot on the map segment. Real estate platform Movoto put together a list of the best towns in Wyoming for LGBT families, and I'm going to go through all of them. First is Jackson. This is the most progressive city in Wyoming, mostly because it's wealthy outsiders who have moved there. Jackson is the first town to have passed discrimination protections for LGBTQ workers. Then there's Lander. Lander has a younger population and more diversity than other areas in Wyoming, and that's because it draws people nationally and internationally to the National Outdoor Leadership School, and Lander also has a pride event. Next is Casper. Casper has a PFLAG chapter, parents, families, and friends of lesbians and gays, and boasts the first openly gay mayor in Wyoming. Then you see Cody. Cody is home of the National Republican Unity Coalition, a gay-straight alliance that sought to widen the tent for Republicans and is unfortunately no longer operating, but it also has a PFLAG chapter in the high school. And Cheyenne. Cheyenne is home to the anti-discrimination and advocacy organizations Wyoming Equality and Equal Justice, Wyoming. And the winner is, for today's Dot on the Map, our capital city, the largest city in Wyoming, in southern Wyoming, close to the Colorado border. I'm talking about Cheyenne, Wyoming. It is on Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Sioux lands. And it was really fun to research about Cheyenne. Basically, I'm planning a visit, hopefully this summer or in the fall when the pandemic has eased up and I feel more comfortable traveling. So Cheyenne is a railroad town, a rodeo town, and of course our state capital. It's a railroad town at heart with the Cheyenne Depot, which is now a historical area including a museum and an outdoor display of the big boy steam engine, which is one of the world's largest steam locomotives. It was built to get coal up the very steep inclines from Cheyenne to Ogden, Utah, and it's one of only eight that are left. Also railroad related is Terry Bison Ranch. Terry Bison Ranch is close to my heart because it tells me that I'm in my home state of Wyoming. When I'm coming up from Colorado and I see the signs for Terry Bison Ranch, it means I've crossed the border. The ranch has a daily train tour every single day of the year except for Christmas and they also encourage you to see the animal feedings including bison, camels, and other animals. So another thing that I really want to check out in Cheyenne is the Botanic Gardens. It's free and I'm always looking for freebies, but it also has a large conservatory including bonsai trees, which I had the chance to see a bonsai garden in Oakland, California earlier this year and 
It was so cool. I I got to actually see a tree that was a gift from the Japanese people to Abraham Lincoln, and that tree is still alive. So I'm kind of obsessed with bonsais now. Another obsession of mine are labyrinths, and Cheyenne has a labyrinth in the Botanic Gardens. It's one of two that I know of in Wyoming. The other one I've been to is at St. Stephen's Indian Mission Church in Ethity, Wyoming. And if you know of any others, please let me know because I definitely want to check them out. So Cheyenne is also a rodeo town, and that happens during Cheyenne Frontier Days in July, typically. Unfortunately, this year, 2020, the rodeo has been canceled due to the pandemic. When the rodeo is happening, it draws over 200,000 people, which is almost half of the population of Wyoming. It's called the Daddy of a Mall, and it goes on for multiple days and nights and includes concerts and, and other activities. On the rodeo grounds, you can also find the Western Heritage Museum, which is open all year. The Wyoming State Capital area is the other part of Cheyenne that I definitely want to explore. The Capitol has been completely renovated, and and the Governor's Mansion is nearby, as is the Wyoming State Museum that has several rotating and permanent exhibits. Some of the permanent exhibits I want to check out first is the one on the National Park Service, because Wyoming has America's first national park, first national forest, and first national monument. So this exhibit explores the role of the National Park Service in preserving wild spaces in Wyoming. Two other exhibits that I want to definitely check out are An Unbroken Circle, which is an exhibit of Native American history in our state, and Wrecks in Pieces, which is about Wyoming's history as a dinosaur digger's paradise, and it includes displays on the Bone Wars, which I will go into in a future episode. This leads to the out-of-the-box segment. This title refers to places of interest in other states just outside of the box-shaped border of Wyoming. And today's pick is Denver. Just 90 minutes south of Cheyenne on I-25, I picked Denver because it is a gay-friendly city and overall a wonderful city to visit. It has an active gay bar and bathhouse scene. It is home to the Rocky Mountain Gay Rodeo, which is held in July in years that there isn't a pandemic. But it's also full of craft breweries, art, live music, and of course, the great outdoors, the Rocky Mountains, and lots of state parks and places to walk, even within Denver itself. And a big draw for some folks, legal recreational marijuana. So it's time to close the gate on this episode. Thank you so much for listening today. A giant thank you to my cousin Jackson for sharing his personal experiences with us. I highly recommend his book, Birds of a Feather. You can find a link to it on the website, as well as a transcript of the poem that Jackson read, a really cute picture of him his senior year just before he left Wyoming for the big world, and a picture of my Aunt Shirley as a young mom surrounded by her boys. So you can check that out at wyomingmy307.blogspot.com, and you can find links to the places we covered today, and even a video on the funeral behavior of magpies. And don't forget my first bonus episode where Jackson reads us a short story. 
If you have any questions, suggestions, corrections, please email me, wyomingmy307 at gmail.com. And I'd love it if you could follow me on Instagram, wyomingmy307, all one word. And that's it. Happy trails to you. Until we meet again. Bye. Bye.